Old Testament reading for the seventh Sunday after Trinity is from Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and Onyx are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle is from Romans chapter 6. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 8th chapter. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and, having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And, having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about four thousand people. And he sent them away. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. How 
can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? This desolate place. This desolate place, say the disciples, is the furthest thing possible from the food court or the farmer's market. This desolate place is not mom's vegetable garden or grandma's kitchen. Indeed, this desolate place is not somewhere we can get food for free from our loved ones or even a place where we can pay for food with our hard-earned cash. How then, Jesus, can one feed these people with bread here, here in this desolate place? This question from the disciples is the source of more than a little controversy, mainly because this feeding of the 4,000 takes place after Jesus had already performed the feeding of the 5,000 two chapters earlier in Mark. What's going on then? Are the disciples stupid? Did they doubt? Did they simply forget the mass feeding that already happened, just like they might forget where they put their keys? Now, sure, the disciples were slow to comprehend many things that Jesus said and did, in spite of the fact that they spent all their time with him. But regardless of exactly what may have been going through the disciples' minds, this second mass feeding happened for a reason. Jesus fed the multitudes for a second time to show mankind how God cares for us. You see, right after the first feeding, the feeding of the 5,000, something profoundly unusual takes place. This is where Jesus walks on water. He came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure, and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. Why were they troubled when they saw Jesus? Why were they greatly amazed? Why were the disciples amazed when they saw that Jesus, who looked like a scary ghost, saved them from all their fears instead of harming them? They were amazed because they had not understood about the loaves. The loaves. What about the loaves? What was it about the loaves that was supposed to stop them from being afraid? What was it about the loaves from the previous feeding of the 5,000 that was supposed to stop them from being amazed? Well, for that we have to see what went on in the first feeding. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the first day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, 
This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But Jesus, this is a deserted place. How can we give them bread here? But you guys, we're in the middle of a storm at sea. How can we be made safe here? We might even be tempted to look down on the disciples for not understanding that they were safe and sound. But really, we shouldn't. The fact of the matter is that the disciples' concern in both of these situations was perfectly reasonable. We shouldn't really look down on them for their lack of understanding, because we would probably respond in the same way. And yet, God's word tells us that they were supposed to have known that they were safe and sound all along. They were supposed to have known that God would care for them because of the loaves. The loaves were supposed to tell them. The loaves were supposed to show them that the hostile environment, be that the desolate place where Jesus fed the 5,000 or the storm at sea where they were about to drown, the hostile environment wasn't about to prevent God from caring for his flock. The loaves were given to the crowd even in the wilderness. And even there, there in that desolate place, they all ate and were filled. In the book of Revelation, God gives John a vision that depicts how he protects and cares for the church. In chapter 12, the church is pictured as a woman, which the Bible does all the time when it calls the church the bride of Christ. So, in Revelation, the woman the church, is constantly being attacked by the devil. But God always protects her. Revelation 12.6 says the following, Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, that they should feed her there. Now, what's interesting about this verse is that two popular translations sort of drop the ball in the Greek here. These two translations both say that the woman goes to the wilderness to be nourished. However, the Greek doesn't actually put that verb in the passive voice, it puts it in the active voice. Every single Greek manuscript of this verse says that the woman is not simply being nourished, it says they shall nourish her. So the King James and New King James actually get it spot on here. Now. This might sound a little awkward at first, since it calls God a they, but that's actually a good thing. God's act of feeding the church, being described as something that they do, means that the whole trinity is involved in protecting and sustaining the church. Feeding the church is something that God does by his very nature. Now, later on, in verse 14 of the same chapter, the Greek does say that the woman, the church, is being fed or being nourished in the wilderness, but verse 6 only ever says that they should feed her there. And so regardless, 
the important thing here is that we are shown the character of God. The church is being nourished, and it's the whole trinity that's doing it. What is God like? God is like this. He feeds his church even in the wilderness, even in this unforgiving, desolate place where man could never sustain himself, God sustains us. And we see this characteristic, this personality trait, if you will, of God come through in the actions of Jesus in the gospel. And what is this characteristic of God? What is it about God that makes him want to feed us? Compassion. He feeds us because of his compassion. Remember the first feeding? Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. And at the second feeding from our gospel reading for today, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. He even knows our condition. Christ knows that we are weak and that we can't survive without food. He knows we'll drown if we get overtaken by a storm. And most importantly, most importantly, he knows that if he leaves us alone to face the attacks of the devil, we don't stand a chance. And what's his solution? How does Jesus sustain us and protect our faith in the midst of all the troubles of this life? You know, the thing about the loaves, the astounding thing about the loaves of the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000, is that when Jesus performs this miracle, his actions with the loaves and the fish are exactly the same actions that Jesus does in the Lord's Supper. In the feeding of the 5,000, in the feeding of the 5,000, it says that Jesus had taken, blessed, broke, and gave. In the feeding of the 4,000, he took, gave thanks, broke, and gave. In the feeding, and then in the Lord's Supper, that last feeding, it says that he took, blessed, broke, and gave. It's the exact same actions from the feedings in the exact same order. The loaves, the providential nourishment from Christ in the wilderness, were meant to point forward to the Lord's Supper. Not because the loaves and Christ's walking on the water, for that matter, and the calming of the storm. Not because they were chiefly meant to prove that Jesus was really God, although it does show us that. But rather, it's because all these things, the loaves, the calming of the storm, and the Lord's Supper, are times when Christ saves his people from death. 
How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? St. Mark may as well have said, Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the day he fed the four thousand, took loaves. And when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples and said, Set them before the people. In the same way also he took the fish after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave them to them, saying, These also should be set before them. How can one feed these people with faith here in this sinful world? How can one keep these people forgiven here in this life when they sin nearly every moment? Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take. Eat. This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Therefore, you Christians, O you of little faith, repent. Repent for not understanding about the loaves. Repent of the times you've forgotten that your God saves you from death. Sure, when worldly troubles come, and they will come, some amount of concern is appropriate. But what's not appropriate is when these troubles, these attacks of the devil, take our eyes away from the one who feeds us, the one who cares for us in this desolate place. When our concern becomes excessive and we forget that God will actually care for us, well then what happens is we become the object of our own trust. We turn ourselves into our own God. And it happens all the time to, uh, to some, to, it happens to all of us at one time or another. It's not as if this is uncommon. And so, therefore, says our Lord, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or, what shall we drink? Or, what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The solution, then, to your lack of faith, your lack of understanding about the loaves, is the very loaves themselves. And so, desire them. Desire the loaves. Not the loaves from that miracle 2,000 years ago, which is inaccessible to you. Desire the better loaves. The loaves of the Lord's Supper. Back then, Christ fed his people in the wilderness with the loaves and the fish. But now, behold, 
Loaves are coming which are mightier than these. Loaves with which Christ remedies your lack of faith and supplies you with lavish forgiveness. These loaves, this miracle meal from heaven, is offered to us precisely because we walk in the midst of trouble and sorrow and because our faith sometimes wanes. These loaves, the same body and blood which were crucified upon the tree of the cross, are the fruit of that tree. The fruit of the cross, Christ's gracious provision for your soul in the midst of constant danger, is the greater feeding of the 4,000. In these greater loaves, Christ comes to us in the very midst of life to nourish and preserve our faith from all harm and danger. In fact, Desire to have the Lord's Supper every week. After all, every week you sin greatly. Every week you encounter just as much trouble as the last. And every week you could become the target of Satan's attacks. Desire, then, the loaves which keep your soul safe. You, sheep of the good shepherd, desire the loaves which do not perish but endure to everlasting life. He who makes you to lie down in the green pasture of his church and leads you beside the still waters of his spirit will certainly restore your soul with the Lord's Supper. Yea, Though you walk in the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil, for in the Lord's Supper he is with you. Come then, come as often as you can to the table which he prepares for you in the midst of your enemies. Here, at the table of the Lord, will your cup run over. Here, at the meeting place of heaven and earth, will goodness and mercy follow you for all the days of your life. And by means of these loaves, the very body and blood of God, will you walk in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.